Let's Doing episode 126. Ari talks with extreme entrepreneur Peter Sage. Welcome to the Less Doing podcast. Less Doing or Living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is The Art of Less Doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, it's Ari Mizell. Welcome to the Less Doing, More Living podcast. Nine years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a little-known, extremely painful, and seemingly incurable disease, which forced me to go down a long road of radical transformation so that I could reduce stress and win back a normal life for me and my family. While extremely painful, Crohn's was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to innovate and create the less-doing-more-living system, which I used to govern my life. Then I was given the gift of starting to teach this system to other people. And over time, I was able to help more and more people through a video course, this podcast, and the Less Doing, More Living book. Now I have the privilege of working with some of the world's top business minds, including Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, Dave Asprey, and Jordan Harbinger, who have all decided to join me for the first annual Less Doing Live Summit that I'm holding in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. To get more information on the Less Doing Live Summit, you can go to the URL lessdoinglive.com. Or you can also find links to the event on our main site, lessdoing.com. Now, enjoy today's podcast. And if you listen to the end of the show, I am going to give you more information on this event, as well as a way you can earn a free copy of my book, Less Doing, More Living. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 126, where I interview Peter Sage, and I have the pleasure of having a Another special guest co-host. Today, I'm speaking with Kimmy Morton. So, hi, Kimmy. Hi, Ari. How are you? <laughs> I am excellent. And I'm so excited to have you as the guest podcast host today because uh, I have so much fun doing these calls with my Mastermind members because we get to really geek out on this stuff in a, in a cool way. So, why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you are, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I'm in Hawaii, Honolulu, Hawaii. So, um, uh, and I am, as you mentioned, a part of your mastermind group. And what an amazing, amazing group to be a part of. Um, as you know, I uh, started first uh, with your Less Doing Boot Camp and then became a mastermind member after that. And um, it's, uh, I'm totally obsessed with productivity and I do uh, a little bit of productivity coaching um, and teaching here in Hawaii. I teach at a school called Happiness U, where um, we it's a really cool concept. Um, just basically uh, all the teachers there teach things that you didn't learn in school about how to be happy. And part of that is, is productivity, of course. Um, I'm also a uh, fitness coach. I, I work at a gym here called Egan's Fit Body Bootcamp. And I love uh, teaching uh, bootcamp classes. It brings me great joy. So I do a little bit of, of everything here and uh, mostly just focusing on people um, uh, helping people live happier, healthier lives. Well, that's exactly what we're about here at Last Doing. And, and don't forget to mention that you're a mother of two. 
I am. <laughs> so you are you are a very very busy person. And if I read correctly today, you got your third stripe in jujitsu. I did. Yes. Yeah. So the studio um, that I train at, um, we're a mixed martial arts studio. So one of the things that I do is uh, jujitsu training and. Uh, Wow, it's a uh, yeah, it's a it's a challenging um, sport, but something that is um, it's both physically and mentally challenging. So I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Well, so you are a busy person, and it's uh, that's why you're doing this less doing journey with us, and I, why I'm happy to have you here. So I want to tell you about today's interview, and then we'll tell you about some really cool links. So so today's interview is with Peter Sage, and Peter is. Uh, just a really interesting entrepreneur. He's an extreme athlete. He's done just some amazing physical endurance events, but he's he's coached thousands of entrepreneurs and he's just really inspiring. So that was a, a really cool call. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about some links. So the first one is actually, do you do any like brain training stuff at all, like luminosity or anything like that? I've I've fooled around with it a little bit, yeah. Okay, so... I, I have two, and I was always kind of a fan of Lumosity, but I I got very bored of it very quickly. And there's studies, there's there's interesting studies about using these brain trainers. So one of them, one of, a lot of the studies say that it's helpful and that it challenges your brain in some ways. But more compelling research shows that all you tend to do if you play the brain training games is that you just get better at playing brain training games. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so... I, when I read that and I sort of looked into that, it, it, I don't know, I guess sort of inherently it like lost some of its appeal to me. However, there's a new one that I've been playing around with for a couple of weeks now called Peak, uh, P-E-A-K. And of course, as usual, everyone, all this stuff is going to be in the show notes. But Peak does it slightly differently, I would say. It's just as far as, first of all, the games that they offer are really, like I, can, I almost can feel myself like having to think harder. You know, when, when I'm playing these and I really like it. And, and the reason that I feel like it's not just like another brain training game is one of the ways that I notice when I don't know, like I'm, I feel like I'm not using my brain to its potential necessarily is when I have little trouble coming up with words. Like, do you ever notice that ever, like in a conversation or perhaps on a podcast interview? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Especially if I'm tired. Yeah. Right. Okay. So and I notice that. I, I'm very like acutely aware of that where I find my, because for one thing I have trained myself pretty effectively, I think to not use, um, at all when I'm speaking. Um, and that's something from being interviewed and also from being on the podcast. So if I, if I'm in a situation where, or a, a pause where I want to say, um, I usually will just be silent and just pause and wait, um, which is, which is fine. But in those moments is when I'm looking for a word sometimes and I find that it maybe takes me a second longer to find the word or I really just don't find the word and end up replacing it with something else in my mind. That's something that I've noticed. So a lot of the, the uh, I guess, the language and memory and even some of the problem-solving games in Peak involve not necessarily learning vocabulary but using words and seeing the patterns and stuff. And I, I just noticed that it really... It, it seems to have an effect. Like I actually feel kind of like energized after I use them, after I used it. And the games are games that I want to continue playing. So it's really I good. Think, yeah, I think that's really key. I mean, it has to sort of be fun too, right? That was one thing that I felt with Lumosity is that um, it was just uh, got monotonous a little. Yeah, exactly. Like how many times can you point out which direction the bird is flying? 
Oh, that bird. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, okay. So, so peaks. Okay. So if anybody knows Lamosity, the game that Kim and I are referring to is basically there's like a flock of birds in the sky. All of them are flying one direction except the center one. And you have to very quickly or, you know, as quickly as possible identify which direction the center one is flying. And it's supposed to be a focus task. And it's, it's really, really boring. So what Peak's version of it is, which I, I actually think is really cool, is that you're presented with an origami shape. It's like on a flashcard. And the game starts with it, and there's like a, like a tunnel of cards basically coming at you. And you have to say left or right. So if it's like a red crane or a blue swan or whatever, you, you go left or right, depending. So that's different because you're sorting which is really an interesting way to focus. And then they'll throw in a third color that also goes either to the left or the right along with one of the first ones. So it's actually pretty complicated and it really makes you think. And you're trying to go as fast as possible. That's another thing with the, the, the flock of birds one is luminosity is that it shows it, you make a decision, wait a few seconds, it shows another one. You do, it's not like as fast as you can. Right. And I think that that's a lot of, like the, the, what I like about this, I think overall is that this is an example to me where peak is an example to me of a positive stress because it's making you kind of like anxious and nervous because you want to do it faster and better and faster and better. But that's the kind of stress that makes you grow stronger, not the kind of stress that becomes like chronic and upsets you. Right. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, definitely. It's really, really cool. So uh, you have an iPhone, right? Of course. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, so it's funny because so I do too. And Today is like the second time ever that I've recommended an Android app. So because there's certain things that the, there's, there's certain very specific things that the iPhone won't do. And one of them is really like a positive interplay between apps. You know, you really can't have it like you can't download an app that manages another app. Like it's just something that doesn't happen in, in Mac or in in, uh, iPhone. So this is a app called Alibi. And it's an Android-only app, but it discreetly captures the last hour of your life, saving it locally only when you tell it to. It runs in the background and is optimized not to be battery, so you're never without an alibi. So it's basically, it's recording audio, video, images, and location constantly. And then basically, if you want something from the last hour, you save it. Hmm. So it's almost like a dashboard cam for your life. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so how would people use that? Well, the examples on the on the website are not very positive, I don't think. But there, there's like <laughs> a guy who looks like he's in like a riot, basically, and there's cops and like yelling at the uh, at a cameraman and stuff. But I guess that would be one example. Um, <laughs> for me, I would Good think. To know. Well, for me, like I, I think it'd be really cool, like to have this while I'm playing with my kids, and if my kid said something really cute or funny or did something really cute, because I, I always have this like balance issue with with using the phone with my kids as far as like taking pictures whereas my kids are the type that if you take out your your phone to take a picture they immediately stop doing the cute thing that they were doing right <laughs> you know so yeah like this might be one one way to do that but it also just as far as self-tracking it's just an interesting thing to see you know everything that's sort of been going on around you for the last hour yeah interesting yeah so uh the next one is a website called I guess it's called Git Task. It's G I T T A S K. So Git Task, and it's 
it's playing on what what seems to be sort of a new marketplace in terms of outsourcing, where now it's not enough to have something outsourced. You have to have it outsourced really, really quickly. And that's sort of like the different the new differentiation, I feel like, you know, this whole on-demand economy. So what this is, is if you're looking for developers for software or for apps or things like that, these are pre-vetted, pre-sort of qualified, I guess, uh, developers, so you basically post the task, and you can get somebody working on it like right away. Wow! And then you know, in, turn a three or four day project maybe into a one day project, possibly. So, because we all know that programmers don't sleep and work at night, <laughs> and it, it's it, so it's cool. I mean, it, it, the thing is, is and I come across this a lot where you have somebody asking me, you know, I want to make this app. What should I do? And usually, depending on what the level of the app is or level of the Web service, whatever it is, I, I may just refer them to Elance and say, you know, just go post it there and, and get your bid. But some people either don't feel comfortable with that, or they don't really know how to navigate the the things that are the sort of nuances of, of Elance. So mm-hmm. in this case, they're already pre vetted. This is like I need this very straightforward. Like just put somebody on it and let's get it done. It's cool. Yeah, cool. I like that. Um, okay, so then the next one is called User Brain. And this comes down to website usability. So there's a number of services out there that allow you to have people test your website and see what they think of it. And Peak is one of them from a company called User Testing. Peak is actually really cool. Um, and you know, I know that you were you're redesigning your website because we are. I, w- I want to talk about your new project as well. Okay. But <laughs> but uh, so Peak is free, and you basically get a five minute video of a real person using your site, and they basically you know so they look at it and be like, well, uh, so I, obviously like they're selling this or this is what they do. I think that you know this is a little complicated over here. And it's really interesting to get sort of some like a kind of a random person just talking about your website. Yeah, that is super cool, and it's free. Peak is free, yes, and you get a five-minute video. User Brain is not free, but basically what they do is it's every Monday morning you get videos of people testing your website. So it's sort of like an ongoing thing. And that's what they're saying is that you want to make it a habit to test your website's usability, which is interesting because it's a very good point. You know, I I could have somebody look at my website right now, do a five-minute video and say, like, oh, this needs to change and this, and I'm like, okay, great, make those changes and then, you know, forget about it for six months. Right. but any good website now should be a dynamic website that's like constantly changing. It, it, to have, you know, static websites, for the most part, are not good marketing material. So this is something they do it every week, basically, and you're signing up for like a subscription to have people looking at this and checking the usability on a regular basis. That is a very cool thing. Wow. Speaking of non-dynamic websites, um, oh, and I just said, um. <laughs> <laughs> have you... Do you remember the movie Space Jam? Um, I know of the movie Space Jam, but I have not seen it. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to ask you to say how old you are, but you you are old enough to have seen Space Jam, right? <laughs> I, I'm not I, I'm not older yes. than you. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, well, the original original website for Space Jam is still online, and it ah. is it's amazing. It's it's so <laughs> like Web point zero two. Um, there's frames and there's like a like a repeating background and red text on a starry like it's it's amazing. So basically, if you go to like WarnerBrothers.com/slash/spacejam, it the original website from the '90s is on oh, there. Cool. I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, it's 
pretty funny. And it's funny too, because when you go to like the, they have a link to their, the Warner Brothers studio store, except that goes to the current one. So it, it's like, it's a really weird juxtaposition actually. So did I miss a classic? Do I need to go back and watch Space Jam? I like, mm. is there a hole in my life that I need to fill? If there is, that's not the one, I promise. <laughs> uh, it, no, it's not uh, not what I consider to be one of the best movies ever, but it is sort of a classic, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so this one is really cool. I think you'll appreciate this particularly. It's called Open Food Facts, and it's basically a free food products database. And what they're trying to do is collect food information on all sorts of foods from around the world. And it's it's... I'm kind of surprised actually because I've never heard of another version of this, but this is it's basically a crowdsourced food database. Hmm. And right now they have 31,585 products, but um, from the looks of it, they've got things from all over the world. And there's a bunch of like French cheeses and looks like Spanish cucumbers maybe. Uh, so it, it's great. And it's also, they have things with a barcode and things without a barcode, which is kind of nice. So you can you can show... For instance, like what, a, like a, a good example actually is um, Nutella is made differently in almost every country. Oh, interesting. I don't know if you knew that. And, and Coca-Cola is too, uh, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. They actually, Coca-Cola particularly taste very, very different in different parts of the world. Huh. Um, I have not had a Coca-Cola in a long time actually now that I think about it, but the Ch- I remember I had at the at the Coke factory in Atlanta, like Chinese Coca-Cola tends to be, I think, a little bit more bitter, whereas Mexican Coke is much sweeter than uh, American. And the best tasting Pepsi I think I've ever had was an Ecuadorian Pepsi. Really? <laughs> yes. I can't even, yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I had a Coke or a Pepsi. Yeah. It's been a long time. It has been a long time for me too. Interestingly enough, there are these people who are like food tasters, and a lot of them are what's known as super tasters, which is not just a a fancy like adjective. They're actually people who have super sensing abilities, and there are these two women who are food consultants to the uh, not fast food, but I guess pretty much like processed food industry. And apparently, there are I think like six factories that make Oreos, and they can tell by eating the Oreo which factory it came from. Oh, I I always think my son might be a super taster because I've heard that, you know, uh, kids that are picky eaters or selective eaters tend to, it's because they're tasting so much. So when he doesn't want to eat certain foods, I just hope, you know, he's going to be a fa- fabulous chef someday, you know, with this great palate, maybe a sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do you find that there's certain foods that he doesn't like that he gets well, picky about or is he just picky? <laughs> Yeah, no, there's definitely um, certain foods he doesn't like. I mean, it's always a challenge to get him to uh, eat his vegetables and things like that. But he can tell the difference between like different different varieties of pineapple. He'll say like, you know, this one is weird, you know. So he notices if things are not exactly the same and he wants things to be the same. <laughs> ah, interesting. So he likes consistency. Yes, yes. So um my, he can always tell, like, if my mom buys the different can brand of pineapple, he won't eat it. <laughs> so I'm like, how do you know? You buy, people in Hawaii buy canned pineapple? Oh my gosh, isn't that awful? I shouldn't <laughs> even be saying that. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with canned. 
Once in a while we do. And uh, my my mom does it for for pizza, make your own pizza night. I think it's easier than like, you know, actually going through the whole process of coring your pineapple. Okay, it's so less it's, doing strategy. <laughs> sure. Well, have you ever seen that that pineapple core that also slices the pineapple as you like drill down into it? Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. I've never it's tried awesome. one. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so actually, there's a question for you. Hawaiian pizza, yay or nay? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I think it's a great thing, but I don't <laughs> think it's like a traditional food here. <laughs> no, 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 of course not. But I mean, the the first the time- Pineapple on pizza, yes, it's amazing. Pineapple and ham, right? And ham, yeah. Yeah. So I actually did a podcast recording earlier with Felix, and we were talking about uh, this. There was a website that had all these recipes, things you can do with cauliflower. And apparently, you can make a pretty badass pizza crust with cauliflower. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen a Pinterest fail of that. You know, have you ever seen those uh, pictures where it's somebody tries the recipe and then it's like a colossal fail? Yes, and they pair the picture. <laughs> yeah, so I I think that there's a risk of the cauliflower sinking and falling through if you're not careful. So um, I'll, uh, I'll have to that's try that. That's a good that. point. That's a good yeah. point. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I have to try that too. However, I would say that pizza, uh, especially like that, if you're going to make pizza at home with your family, that's one of those times when don't worry about being gluten-free. Don't worry about anything. Just enjoy the pizza <laughs> and enjoy being exactly. with your family. <laughs> <laughs> True. So the last link I want to tell you about is called O-Drive. And uh, so I know you're on uh, Apple or iPhone at least, but uh, do you use a Mac too? I do use a Mac, yeah. Okay, so odrive.com, this is a service that basically puts a folder on your computer and that in that folder you can then access Dropbox, Gmail, Google Drive, uh, Facebook pictures, Instagram, and even Salesforce and Box, all from this, it basically is like super Dropbox. Wow. Yeah, so this is really cool to me because one of the things that, you know, if you're going to be paperless, you end up using, usually you end up using sort of multiple cloud services. So, and then of course the problem becomes having to find what's where. And there used to be a couple really, really good services that let you search across every kind of service, but they don't seem to exist anymore. So this is actually a pretty good example. You're going to have everything kind of in one place and you can move things from place to place. It's, it's really it's good. If you're in the cloud, this is a great thing to do. And it's online. It's not something you download to your Mac? No, or? you do download it, uh, okay. but then it's all, it's all synced with the cloud. But basically you have this one main folder that has all the various services in it. So it's almost like you're opening your Dropbox folder and in there is a folder for Facebook, a folder for Instagram, a folder for Drive and everything oh, else. Got it. But it, do you know how much uh, memory or that it takes up on the computer? Does it slow it down at all? Uh, it's going to be like Dropbox. I've been I've been testing it out and haven't noticed any sort of latency. So it, it's sort of as much as you decide to sync. That's what it's going to take down. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, very very cool. So, Kimmy, thank you so yes. much for your time. Oh, and great to be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Kimmy will be right back with our next episode. So, uh, thank you for uh, co-hosting this one with me. Thank you. And now for feature interview. So now I am speaking with Peter Sage, who is best known now as the enlightened entrepreneur. So Peter, thank you for sharing some of your time with us. Are you very more than welcome, my friend? So, okay, you're an enlightened entrepreneur. You're an extreme entrepreneur. We're gonna have to attack both of those. So, uh, what? <laughs> g- give me some background. 
Well, the, the extreme label actually came from a, uh, a friend of mine who was the head of entrepreneurship, a uh, professor at one of the world's top business schools at INSEAD, which I, I sit on the board with. And you know, he introduced me to a, a keynote one time where saying, look, you've got family entrepreneurs, you've got serial entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs. He says, but there's a certain kind of entrepreneur that just goes that extra little bit of craziness that's called an extreme entrepreneur. And he sort of introduced me and the label kind of stuck. And uh, I think uh, it's, it was definitely intended as a compliment. But I think it was it was more to do with the fact that uh, I've taken on some pretty extreme challenges, both business and personal and, and physical, over the years, and uh, and really as a way to hopefully you know not only push myself past certain limits or, or to prove what's possible or to find out what the limits are, but hopefully to inspire others uh, along that path as well. So really, that was his um, uh, his label, and over the, the the years, you know that that had a certain energy around it. But as I move into the the space where I uh, I really want to help share some of the insights and lessons because I go at a slightly deeper level than a traditional teaching. Uh, I tend to be labeled a lot more these days as the enlightened entrepreneur. Whether whether that's a um, uh, <laughs> uh, something which I'm uh, I'm obviously very humbled by, but whether it's something I live up to, I have absolutely no idea. But yeah, for now, that's where we are. Okay. So I'm going to jump around a little bit and I, I feel like you're going to be okay with that. Um, what is sure. the, what is the dangerous sport club? The dangerous sports club is a, uh, a group of guys that originally were together at Oxford university in England. That's uh, got their, their kicks from being able to create uh, extreme sports. They're almost the founder of the extreme sports event. They're, they're widely credited globally of, of inventing bungee jumping and performing the world's first bungee jump. They also... Um, who, got, they're, they're who, little, got, who got that honor? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure the name. This is going back quite a few years now. Uh, I became an honorary member several years ago when their, their, their founder and president, um, yeah, David Kirk, uh, and I connected and, uh, and he shared and, and I shared very uh, similar uh, how can we put it? You know, uh, uh, values around that whole extreme side, and and so I, I was accepted as an honorary member of the Dangerous Sports Club. So again, whether that's that, that's more famous or infamous is is yet to be seen. Yes. Okay. So, and then what? I mean, okay. So you, you start doing marathons, and I want to get into the the Sahara Ultra Marathon in a second. But wh- what was your first running experience? I'm really curious about that. Actually, well, I, I was never really a runner. I don't have a runner's frame. Yeah, I, I and, hate running, so. Yeah, but it, for, for me, I you know, sat there one time doing my goals one year, and I thought, would, wouldn't it be great to actually go and tick that box that everybody, I think, toys with at some point of, of the marathon? And I had no real experiential understanding of what 42 kilometers or 26.2 miles was at that point. It was, it was kind of a, a distance you go in a car. And so <laughs> I, I started training for this, you know, the London Marathon. And I remember, I think I remember the first time I really got an appreciation for what a marathon was, was when I completed a half marathon in training and I was so wiped out dead and, and in pieces and my Brian says hey you, you've got to do that again and I'm like you have got to be kidding me but the body's an incredible machine you know you, you run you know, a 10k or you know a five mile and you're in pieces and the next time you do it you, you're kind of okay and so I I, I you know I got into the running side and then it became quite a uh an escape. It was a quiet time. It was for me to connect. You, you'll never see me run with a, an iPod or a, you know, headphones where I'm listening to music to be motivated. If, if you're trying to in, you know, motivate yourself rather than compel yourself, then uh, it's, it's always going to have a, a time limit. 
But for me, I, I got into running at that point. I'd done some crazy stuff and I, I went for a, a run yesterday. It's nothing that I'm into big numbers anymore. For me, it's my escape. It's connecting with nature. It's, it's being alive. It's getting all of the, 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 the stuff out of the, 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 the way that we tend to drown ourselves in in day to day and allowing stuff to channel through. Some of my best ideas come in like the second, third mile onwards when I'm, I'm present to, to being alive in the body. So that's really why I, I, I love running right now. Yeah. And so, uh, okay. And then just sort of give me a, like a brief thing on how was the, the Sahara marathon, honestly, like, what was that like? Well, I mentioned that I set a goal to, to run the London marathon. That was back in 1999. And I, I remember getting to the end of the London marathon in, in some yeah, ridiculously long time. I think it was about f- just under five hours. And I remember swearing that I would never, ever put myself through such a, a, a horrendous ordeal again. But as I'm sure many, many women who are listening to this that are, have more than one child have probably had that <laughs> same conversation, <laughs> you know, about yeah, during ch- or just after childbirth, only to, you know, can't wait to do it again. So the body has a very short term memory when it comes to pain, yeah, I found. And so, yeah, lo and behold, you know, a year later, I'm setting my physical goals. And I thought, well, how can I raise the bar? So I thought, I know what I'll do is I'll run the London marathon again, but this time I'll do it in a, you know, a 40 pound, 20 kilo, you know, seven foot tall rubber or latex rhinoceros costume for charity. Yeah. As you would. Yeah, of course. So I, so, so I did, I, I ran my second marathon in this like incredible suit that you sweat standing still. And I struggled. I mean, there was, there was eight people running for save the rhino. We were a full herd. And yeah, I, the, the, the craziest part about it, it wasn't actually running the, the marathon in the rhino suit. The craziest part for me was, you know, I do a lot of work with Tony Robbins for, for, for many, many years um, around the world. And, and I was working with Tony down in Australia. And when I looked at the dates, I thought, I can't do the London Marathon because I'd be in Australia. And I figured out that if I got the, the first plane out after the event, I would be able to land at Heathrow after a 22-hour flight and get a taxi to the start line. Uh, and so I did. And so, you know, 14 miles later, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, as you can imagine, after a 22-hour flight, how dehydrated you are, I just seized up. Oh, and wow. it, was, it was horrendous. And I remember getting to the end of that marathon and saying, you know something, I will never put myself through anything like that ever again, only to have something about two years later capture my imagination. Yeah, and we, we we get this all the time, whether it's a business idea, whether it's you know whether it's a, a a partner or a potential partner in a relationship or or something that just you know it hooks you. There's that inspiration. It's like wow. I mean, yeah, it, the difference between looking at a uh, a good technically painted you know, um, uh, uh, wall hanging or a masterpiece from Leonardo da Vinci. You know, there the, the, there's something different. And that, that speaks to you at a different level. And I heard somebody talk about this race called the Marathon des Saab, the Marathon of the Sands, the Sahara Ultra Marathon. And I remember listening th- and being captivated. It was like, wow. I mean, who in their right mind would do something like that? You know, you're running not just a marathon. You're running a marathon a day, back to back for seven days across the toughest terrain in the world in, in 135 Fahrenheit, carrying 20 kilos on your back, self-sufficient in some of the most inhospitable terrain uh, on the planet. You know, water's rationed to nine liters a day. That's for washing, cooking, hydrating. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's, you know, it's a, it's a strategy game. 
You know, do you run with a light sleeping bag so it's it's easier to run in the day and you don't spend as much energy with the weight on your back, but you lose energy at night when it's nearly freezing yeah, in the desert? Or do you run with a heavier sleeping bag so it's harder to run in the day, but you stay warmer at night? You know, everything's a call. You know, do you use water to, to wash your hands after the bathroom and, and not get diarrhea? Or do you, you know, save precious water for hydrating? You know, everything's a call. And I was so captivated. You know, when I started out thinking, who in their right mind would do that? Right through to when I finished hearing about this, you know, having the thought of, wow, this is something I have to do. <laughs> and that was kind of the, the, the mental journey over about 30 minutes that I took to, to do it. So, so I did. I, I signed up. And that was an incredible experience. I learned so much on that. And uh, I'd be happy to share a couple of the lessons if you're interested. Yes, of course, please. That's the, I, I'm always interested. Personally, I had this experience, you know, sort of how you relate extreme, not just extreme sports, but extreme lengths of the human body and mind to how you are in business. Uh, absolutely. I mean, how, how you play at anything is how you play at everything. So, you know, the, the challenge is, you know, I've, I, I've done and, and taught firewalking for you know, over a decade, you know, with, with Tony and, and, and elsewhere. And, you know, the, the hardest part of a firewalk is showing up. Once, <laughs> once, you make, once you make the first step, trust me, you're not turning around, right? You, you're, you're gone. You're off. You, you don't change your mind halfway through a firewalk. So the, the, the challenge was that there was more people that had signed up for the Sahara Ultramarathon that didn't show up to the start line than actually dropped out of the race. Right. And, and that's uh, yeah, that, that that was a, a a big insight for me. But I also remember that you know I uh, the day of the the double marathon, you know day day four is a double marathon, fifty two mile stage, you know eighty four kilometers nonstop. And I remember I woke up the morning of the double marathon with food poisoning. I tried to save water by not hydrating my food when I was cooking it the night before, and it was a mistake, and I was in bad shape. I couldn't even. Yeah, you know, lift my rucksack. I was so weak, and I remember I stood at the start line, and the gun went off, and I've got eighty-two kilometers. I've already ran, you know, three mar- best part of three marathons in the last three days. I mean, you're already in pieces, and I've got eighty-two kilometers to run, fifty-two miles that day across open desert tracks, wadis, sand dunes, and and all sorts in blistering heat. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I I couldn't even run. I just trudged off, and you you got to be. Uh, or keep a certain pace. Otherwise, if you're behind the cutoff times, you're disqualified. So I couldn't just walk. And I remember I, I couldn't run for the first four hours and I tried to pick up the pace. And by the end of that evening, it was about, I don't know, dusk, seven, seven o'clock in the evening. I'd been running since eight o'clock that morning or, or walking or trying. And the sun was starting to set. I'd covered 30 miles. I got another 20 miles to run through the night and it was starting to get cold, which meant I had to run just to stay warm. And I remember thinking, that's it. I quit. I can't do this. And I sat down on a rock. I started to cry. And I was like, I'm done. You know, there's a voice in my head saying, fire the flare. They give you this two pound rocket flare, which everybody hates because it, it weighs so much. But you know, if, you, if you fall over, break your ankle out in the desert or, or get bit by a camel spider or a rattlesnake or something, you, know, you can fire this flare off and the helicopter will come in and, and take you out. And I remember every morning I'd unpack my rucksack and I'd pack the, the repack the rocket flare right at the bottom because I thought it's always easier in my mind to take one more step than it would be to stop and unpack and fire the flare. That was my kind of motivational strategy, if you like. But I remember in my mind, this flare was getting higher and higher in my rucksack. 
And I just sat down and thought, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to fire the flare. And I, I, I quit. You know, you know, those times where you've got two dogs on your shoulder, you know, one saying, you know, go on, you can do it. I believe in you. Go on one more step. You know, let's do it. And, and the inspired voice. And then the other shoulder is saying, you know something, nothing else to prove. Fire the damn flare. You get a nice cold beer and a hotel bed. What are you waiting for? Yeah. And, you know, which one wins? Obviously, you know, we all know it's, it's the one you feed the most. But unfortunately, the, the, the good dog, the inspiring dog, I, I think had been put down. It, it had died of starvation. It, it, it's got rabies. It was gone. And I just, that was it. I was done. I quit. And it's in moments like that sometimes, Ari, that, you know, we get the biggest lessons in life because I was just about to throw in the towel. And I remember hearing this, this noise, this like trudging through the sand. And I looked up and there was a, a blind elderly Korean gentleman, a competitor yeah, that was tied at the wrist to his guide, just trudging past into the sunset. And I, I remember sitting down watching this for like five minutes, this, these two shadows silhouetted into the, into the distance and thinking, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Well, what possesses somebody yeah, who's clearly not an athlete, he's a pensioner, want to participate in what was arguably the toughest foot race in the world when he can't even see where to place his feet. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the upsides was the incredible scenery. It was like you know, a postcard out of Arabian Nights sometimes. Uh, but he couldn't even get that. He couldn't even see where to place his feet in some of the rocks and the salt waddies that was very dangerous where you could break your ankle in a heartbeat. What made somebody do that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm, I'm a young, fit guy. I'm, uh, and I sat there and I thought, well, if I've got to find out, then I better catch him. <laughs> so I, I got up and I ran after him. And after a few minutes, I, I caught up and I, I asked him the question, do you, what makes you do this? You know, I'm, I'm a student of human behavior. And I, I got a message through his, his guide, who was also his translator, that affected me profoundly. He said that this, this gentleman had basically ran this race every single year because several years ago, his brother had died of cancer. And every year he ran the race to raise money for the hospice that had looked after his brother in his final days. Wow. And, and I'm like, whoa, you know something? I looked at what my reasons for running the race were. And it started with a capital ego. You know, here's me wanting to prove to myself to, that I can run the toughest foot race in the world. Why? To show other people that I'm good enough? To, to, to impress girls in a bar when I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a, you know, a bicep measuring competition with the other alpha males? Yeah, give me a break. You know, that, that level of motivation got me as far as sitting on a rock crying you know, because I got sand in my blisters, my shoulders were in spasm, and I couldn't take one more step. Yeah, that was motivation for you. <laughs> But inspiration comes from a deeper place. Inspiration compels you to run, doesn't force you to run. Yeah, if, you'll be, if you can compel yourself to go to the gym in the morning rather than force yourself when the alarm goes off at 5.30, yeah, you're going to make it. And for me, it, it really inspired me. I'm like, whoa, I've been doing this whole thing for the wrong reasons. And he inspired me to run complete the day. I, I finished the race. I ran another 26.2 miles the day after. And, and on the final day, I crossed the finish line in a, in a fit of emotional overwhelm uh, and recognition that I wasn't running for myself anymore. You know, maybe I didn't realize that maybe, you know, 10 years later on a, on a podcast, I might be able to tell the story that may even inspire other people to say, well, hang on, if he can go and do that, I can go and run a 5K. It's, no, it's no longer a, uh, as much of a stretch when I, I hear a story like that. I don't know. You know I'm unattached from, from the outcome. You know, it's not about me. It's, and I don't want the story to be about me. It was about my level of inspiration. If I can help pass that on, then, then great. You know, use it. 
But, you know, it taught me a huge lesson about getting out of your own way for the sake of covering up your insecurities to prove you're good enough. You know, we were born good enough. We don't have to set up a business to prove it. So therefore, we recognize that fact and we're free to set up a business we're passionate about rather than one we think will give us the most chance of success rather than risk failure and not feel good enough. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. I think that's a very elegant way of stating it, actually. So, and that's a, it's a wonderful story. Of course, it's, it's always, it's always interesting to me when you look at perspective, you know, uh, in my case with the Crohn's, I, the Crohn's was the hardest thing that I've ever experienced at that point. But then I was like, well, I need to, I need to experience something harder actually to give this some perspective. And that was, in my case was Ironman France, which was definitely the hardest thing I've done. And it made the Crohn's pain at least seem kind of manageable. Um, so, and there's, but there's every level of that, you know, because the hardest thing in my life is nothing to compare to something, you know, something that is every day in somebody else's life in a really, really bad situation. And you can see that in the world. So I I always find that to be really uh, inspirational and motivational. Now, I don't mean it's like focus this entire interview on, on sports, but I also saw in your bio about being a marksman. And that's something I wanted to ask you about as well, because sure. to me, the whether it's with a gun or a bow and arrow or a spear, it doesn't matter. There's something about being a marksman, I think, that is a really interesting skill in terms of how you control your physiology and direct it into something that could be the size of a pin. You know, so how did that come about? And, and again, how to sort of how do you apply those principles or, or do you? Uh, oh, absolutely. And that, that really stems back to, you know, I, my grandfather owned a, a gun club. And so I grew up with, with guns. Uh, I grew up to respect, you know, uh, guns. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you, you go through phases going out, you know, shooting for, for food and stuff. And you know, I, I grew out of that into a um, far more of sort of focused on target shooting. I, I didn't like the whole you know, sort of aspect of taking life through that. But I, I did enjoy shooting. I found out, you know, obviously I'd been trained from a young age. And so then I, I joined the, the Army cadets uh, when I was younger and, and was you know, uh, in the uh, shot for the county when I was uh, 13. I shot for England when I was 15. And then I shot for Great Britain when I I was 17 uh, in in the combined services teams uh, against, you know, Marines or Air Force or what have you. And then, you know, I I went on to to do a lot of um, civilian shooting. And the, 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 the aspect of that, you're absolutely spot on, Eric. It's, it's all about, I could sum it up in one, one word and that's poise. If you can have a level of physical self-control that is overlaid with mental self-control, yeah, then you have the, the, the foundation to be able to apply yourself at anything, whether it's learning French, whether it's firing a weapon, you know, whether it's listening to your spouse. You know, you know, the, the, those two are uh, required to be integrated in a way that obviously I was very fortunate having that as a hobby uh, compelled me to be able to do. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you see people who can master their physical body. You can sit cross legged for an hour meditating or trying to, but your mind's on fire. Uh, you can have people that you know, can try and focus on something you know, uh, on, on a task, but they're fidgeting. You know, being able to have that level of physical and mental poise that can you know, integrate into a level of concentration and, and self-control 
means that you can master just about anything that you put your, your dedication towards at that point. And I think that's been one of the keys that's helped me as an entrepreneur be able to become successful at certain levels and, and deal with a lot of the failures that I've had as well in terms of self-reflection because that level of poise means that you're not reactive. You're not emotionally, you know, um, let's call it trigger happy, should we say. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, no, no one's ever asked me about the marksman question before on, on, on a podcast, but, you know, lo- looking at it from that perspective, I think it was a, a huge part of, of the initial self-discipline that got me to where I am. Well, so one of the reasons that that stuck out at me is that when I was younger, I also actually achieved marksman status uh, with, with, with riflery and it, oh. it was something, well done. With, thank you. And when I was younger, particularly I was I believed that I really wanted to join the army and I wanted to be a military sniper. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I necessarily believe or believed that I could take somebody's life. It was just something so fascinating to me about yep. what goes into that the level mindset. of technicality. Yes, and the mindset, exactly. And especially for a sniper, you know, who might be sitting still waiting for, you know, two days before they, they get five seconds to make or break. So I just yeah, it's something that's just always been interesting to me, and it's something that I I feel like that kind of uh, the proverbial laser focus that people refer to, like that mm. this is that's what it really is in a lot of cases. If you can quiet your mind, quiet the outside world, and just breathe into your pulse, kind of, you, there's a lot that you can do um, other than just you know pulling a trigger necessarily. So absolutely. So what are you excited about, you know, this year? We just, we're just the beginning of 2015 and, and what are the, you know, you've got some really amazing companies that you've worked with. You're doing speaking, you're, you're, you're motivating tons of people. Like what, what's really got you excited for this new year? That, that has to be it, to be fair. I'm, I'm actually very excited to, to really now be at a position in my life where I can dedicate my entire focus on helping people and sharing my message. Yeah, that's that's where I'm going over the next you know two to three years uh, as a horizon in a heartbeat. I've uh, I've spent 25 years in personal development. You know, mo- most of the big names are, are good friends. Yeah, we we've co-created a lot of stuff. I, I've I've got a, an amalgamation of so many different things that I know I can add value to people with. But I've never been in a position where I focused on being able to package that in a way that people are able to avail of it in a way that adds value yeah, or is easy, you know, to trying to get hold of, of five minutes of my time over the last 10 years is almost impossible. <laughs> you know, but being able to sit down and create something that people can go to my YouTube channel and benefit from has just not been you know, available because of my corporate level of, of traditional business focus. You know, or, you know, I'm, I'm in 20 countries a year and you know, I, I live on an airplane. It's, yeah, it's been very difficult. So, yeah, I'm a great believer that you know we, we have a thinking center and we have a feeling center, and most people's lives are ran by their thinking center. You know, they, that the mind is a great tool; it's a great servant and a lousy master, and it thinks in language, you know, labels, you know, metaphors, associations, you know, logic, deduction, reasoning. Whereas the feeling center has a much quieter voice that cannot be heard uh, over the top of most people's mind. So if you can move your mind out of the way and start listening to that inner sense from your feeling center, which communicates only in two ways, feels good, doesn't feel good. Call it gut feel, call it sixth sense, doesn't matter what the label is, we all know it's there. And over the last 12 months, that voice has been telling me 
emphatically that you know, my, my mission right now is to position myself in a way that you know, hopefully I can help as many people as possible by some of the insights that I've been fortunate enough to get and hopefully be able to share in a way that people can understand and apply. So, you know, I'm, I'm juiced about 2015. I've put an entire new team around uh, me right now that's committed to sharing in the vision and uh, of being able to help people. Um, I've got people that are, are raving fans of my work that are bought in at, that, that want to help contribute at some level. And I'm, I've never been in such a state of flow that I can remember for, for many years. So, you know, and, and having opportunities like this, Harry, to, to be able to, you know, work with people yourself that have, have gone out and created a platform that are also helping people that I can channel through is, is phenomenal. And, you know, I want to thank you for that up front. But it's, yeah, that, that's my focus right now. And, and if you, you notice, you know, it's the beginning of the year. You, you've got two ways to, to engage predominantly. You know, one is the you know, same old, same old. You know, and the, the predominant difference for, for that level of energy is you're going to have one extra candle this year and, and great. But I'm, a, I'm a, a very keen observer of people's lives that work and people's lives that don't. I have been for a quarter of a century. And if I can distill probably the defining factor that makes the difference, uh, it would be separating people into two groups. And again, in today's world of, uh, of slicing and dicing a billion different labels, you, know, you, you can do it any way you like. But essentially, I don't care. I, I see people falling into two categories. You know, I don't care if they're in corporations, if they're in sports teams, if they're in school. I don't care. There are those people who are inspired and there are those who aren't. End of story. And those who are inspired, you'll notice there is a different spark. There's a different energy that they're up to something. They're on purpose with something. Yeah, they're not reactive. They're proactive in a way that is almost you know, a, a level of perpetual motion coming from a, an energetic force inside them that compels them to drive forward with a, a positive level of vibration. And then those who aren't inspired are you know, dealing with and moving forward in day to day and are usually reactive uh, and dealing with stuff as it happens and what have you. Yeah, it's not better or worse. It's just a differentiation. But for the first time in a long time, I'm actually really, really on purpose with what I'm doing. And I can't wait for the, for the year to unfold. Well, that's awesome. Um, so the, the last question that I always love to ask on the, the interviews here with Peter is, and this you can interpret this however you like, and you can draw from any sort of knowledge. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> what are your top three personal tips for people to be more effective? The first thing would come back to uh, kind of what we spoke about with regards to the, uh, the, the marksmanship. Take control of your mind. Learn how to concentrate, first and foremost. You see, a lot of people are going out trying to learn new strategies on how to be more effective at doing the same things. Concentration precedes all of that. If you have the ability to concentrate, yeah, sharpen your mind, not your skill set. It's not about getting a, a more efficient time management system so that you can delegate out this or whatever. That has its place. But if you still got the same level of mind chatter that is inefficiently leading you down different ways, you know, that's like saying, well, you know, I, I, I want to look better. You know, I'm, I'm 20 kilos overweight. So in order to look better, I'll go buy some better looking clothes. Uh, no, you know, get your ass in the gym and, and find out what level of, of nutrition uh, and, and lifestyle supports you to become a, a vibrant you know, a level of, of health example. Right? You're not going to cover it up just by wearing a better tuxedo. Yeah, and that's where I see a lot of people. So first and foremost, don't run off and try and learn better time management. Try and learn better self-management. 
Yeah, take a constant, you know, concentration course, read, read books on improving concentration, work on that first, and then everything you add onto that will have an amplified level of benefit. So that would be tool number one. Second tip, whatever you can automate in your life, automate. Yeah, it, it, there's so much technology available right now, we don't have an excuse for spending too much inefficiency on stuff that people have invested millions of dollars in software development to be able to handle for us so that we can press a button and not think about it again. I mean, that, that's just an inability to take the time out to focus on what is out there for you. I mean, just think about it. 10 years ago, there wasn't an app store. <laughs> you know, we're living right. in a time in history where you have never had uh, such a plethora, you know, such a smorgasbord of opportunity to engage with technology that can simplify your life. Yeah, so automate. And then uh, third tip would be to surround yourself with um, uh, 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 an environment that supports what it is that you want. Set yourself up to win. Now, if you get all excited about running off on you know, a new time management course or learning concentration, but you're sat in an office of people that are negatively complaining and talking about crap, then you know, that's not supportive. You're going to be sucked into the law of conformity into your environment, whether you like it or not. You know, with cybernetic organisms, we're programmable by design. We are going to adapt to our environment. We don't get to vote on that. What we do get to vote on is to choose what environment we adapt to. Now, if you go to McDonald's three times a week or you go to the gym three times a week, your body's going to adapt whether you like it or not. Yeah, you, you, how you spend your time and who you spend your time with is huge. So you want, to, you want to upgrade your efficiency, upgrade yourself to an efficient peer group and see what happens. Or you know, set yourself up in a, a better environment. Take all the crap out of your fridge and throw it away and, store, and, and put stuff in there that's going to be supportive of you physically if that's the environment you want to be uh, more effective in. You know, put your gym kit at the bottom of the bed before you go to sleep rather than have it in your wardrobe that's you know, yeah, the other side of the room. Um, then it's cold and you're tired and you don't go and do it. Now, get yourself an accountability partner. Hire yourself a damn good coach, yeah, a mentor. Money invested at that will make you so much more efficient and accountable. That one thing alone will transform your year more than anything else. That, that would be my top tips. Well, I love it. I love it. Um, so, Peter, thank you. That, that has been absolutely wonderful. It's really been great talking to you. And where can people find out more about you and everything that you've got going on? Certainly. Uh, PeterSage.com is my website. You can get a lot of resources from there. We, we're going to be relaunching that soon with a, with a whole new online experience for people to be able to you know, deepen their levels of enlightenment around you know, everything from relationships to business to, to self-management. Uh, uh, so yeah, PeterSage.com. I'm all over social media. Uh, obviously, you know, YouTube, Twitter, all the usual Facebook fan page. You know, please connect with me. I'm putting a lot of stuff out. Uh, I do do you know, some personal mentoring at a, a, a unique level if people are interested. Uh, then you know, please feel free to send me an email. It's happy to help at petersage.com. If you've got any queries or questions, I, I, I can't promise that I answer immediately, but I do try and answer everybody's question that I can to see if I can help. Well, great. Thank you again, Peter. Harry, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're an absolute star. Hey, it's Ari again. Thanks for listening to today's show. As I promised at the beginning of the show, I am going to tell you more about the Less Doing Live event in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. Then I will tell you how you can earn a free copy of the Less Doing More Living book. Less Doing Live is an event I am putting on with Business Research Group in New York City. 
We have designed this event to give you and a small group of less doing fanatics a personal quality experience. We are limiting this event to 150 participants in Manhattan to make sure that I get a chance to meet and hang out with every one of you. Now here's why this event is different. You see, most business conferences are just a series of speeches on a stage where smart speakers get up and give you tons of great information. In fact, it's usually so much that you don't know what to do with it all. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make you take action. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make sure you do take action. Because the only way to make big changes in your life is to invest in yourself. And that's not only an investment of your money, because you can always earn more of that, but rather an investment of your time, which is something so precious because you can never get it back. So at this event, we're not just going to talk. On the first morning, Dave Asprey and I are going to share with you the latest cutting-edge tips on how to hack your productivity and biohack your body. But then that afternoon, it's going to get really exciting when we break down into small groups and get you into workshops to solve your biggest problems in productivity. What are the workshops going to be? They'll be designed to help you tackle the fundamental problems that stop 99% of the world from realizing their full potential. Getting your email down to inbox zero and mastering your communications with the world? Or a scheduling class where you can learn how to automate your schedule to the point where you will have a calendar working for you? Or an outsourcing class where you can learn how to get rid of 95% of the things that you shouldn't be doing on a daily basis? We're also going to have a biohacking class that's going to include nutrition and help you master your body and your life. Which one of these classes should you attend? Well, that's where my Less Doing Certified Coaches come in. Before we even let you get to the event, you have to speak to one of our coaches so that we can talk to you and see if the event is right for you. That way we can make sure that we truly help you. So to get to the event, you just need to enter your email and then register to speak to one of our Less Doing Certified Coaches in a free 45-minute coaching call where you will learn the one area of your life that you need the most help with and will get the most impact out of. Now, as a special gift to you for joining this free coaching call, I want to recognize your commitment to your productivity by giving you a free copy of the book, Less Doing, More Living. Thanks for listening.